It's wonderful to be here with all of you today to worship God in spirit and in truth, and we hope and pray that what we have to consider in this, our lesson today, would be both edifying and encouraging to you. Our text will be found, as you can see on the screen, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 to introduce the idea or the subject of sanctification. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we want to begin there in verse 3, where the Apostle Paul wrote, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion or lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness or sanctification. In fact, the New American Standard actually renders it as the English word sanctification. Now let me just say this. Sanctification is a Bible subject that is extremely important, but it's been convoluted by the basic theories of the day. Let me just say this, the reason for the lesson. I was actually asked to preach on the subject of sanctification because in the religious world today, it seems like this is the buzzword. In other words, it's all about being sanctified or it's all about sanctification. And you know what? They're right. It is all about sanctification. But the question is this, what is it, what does it mean, and how do you get it? You know, I was sitting down and I was trying to put together this, the notes and some various resources for study of this subject, and I did what we often do because we live in the Google age. I Googled views on sanctification, and it's very interesting. By the way, we're not going to go through all the aspects of these views. In fact, I will tell you this. If you read these views, they are long, laborious, hard to understand, and confusing, and all of that. So what we want to do is we want to take a very profound subject called sanctification, and in this lesson, offer a very simple explanation so that we can apply it and we can understand it. But here they are, in all fairness, here are the five prominent views on the subject of sanctification today. There's the Wesleyan view. There's the Reformed view. There's the Pentecostal view. There's the Keswick view. And there is one called the Augustinian dispensational view as well. I'm not going to go into all of those views. What I want to talk about those, I want to talk about what the Bible says. But first of all, there is a view. We want to talk about a scriptural view, but, or the scriptural fact. There's a view today that says this. That sanctification comes initially by the direct operation of the Holy Spirit. And it's done in a miraculous form. It's done in a mysterious conversion process. And then some allege that if you receive such from the Holy Spirit miraculously, that you become converted or saved. And in time, in the process of time, sometime in your life, you are a candidate to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now follow me on this. 
You receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and when you get that, and when you're the recipient of that, it becomes an impossibility for you to sin. I'm going to tell you, that doesn't make any sense at all. There's only one that ever walked on the face of this earth that was perfect. There's only one who had no sin. The Bible says if we say we have no sin, we are a liar, and the truth is not in us. We understand that, that everyone sins. Now let's just address the concept of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I don't have time to go into that, so I'm not. I'm just going to make the statement. Baptism of the Holy Spirit happened only two times in all the world since Acts chapter 2 on to the present time right now. And it was done in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost. And it was done in Acts 10 when those Gentile converts in the household of Cornelius were converted. And the purpose of that was to show Jewish Christians that God was accepting the Gentile too. Enough said on that. But let's talk about that. What if somebody actually did receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Could they sin? Absolutely. Peter received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and on the day of Pentecost preached the first gospel sermon with the opportunity to respond to it. He talked about the keys to the kingdom of heaven that Jesus said and the church was established on that day. Did he sin? Yeah. In Galatians chapter 2. You remember what Peter does? Peter being caught up with the thoughts of the Jews and so forth refused to eat with the Gentiles and that was a sin. And others were carried away, even Barnabas, and they followed in Peter's example. Did he sin? Well, Paul said, I withstood him to the face, for he was to be blamed. So it doesn't make sense. Even if you could receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you're still going to sin. John, the apostle, likewise had obtained this baptism. But he wrote that he and all the saints were capable of sinning in 1 John chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. So, no one in this life, I don't care who you are, I don't care when you live, will live their life without temptation, will live their life without sin. We all sin. We never reach a point of sinless perfection. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12, Paul said, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. I want to slip something in. I thought about this. I got up real early. My little Sunday morning regiment. Get up real early. Get the coffee going. And study my lesson. It's quiet in the house. And something kind of hit me this morning. I was thinking about this passage that says, Let he who thinks that he can't fall, let him take heed lest he fall. And you know, I think about this idea. I think about sometimes we have the attitude and we can have the attitude like it could never happen to me. Or we can have the attitude, I will never fall. I will never fall. There's no way I would fall. Not me, I'm so strong. Do you know when you have that attitude, it kind of dawned on me this morning, isn't it entirely possible when you have the attitude of arrogance that those things only happen to other people but not you? Could it not be that you just fell? In a different way, you just fell. That's an arrogant spirit, an arrogant heart. Can't do that. Take heed lest he fall. Don't ever act like it could never happen to you. What do we want to do, though, today? We want to notice sanctification and why. 
We want to notice how we can serve God better by understanding sanctification and serve him more in our life. So let's talk about that word sanctification. First of all, what does it mean? Our English word derives from two Latin words, and it's very simple. It is the Latin word sanctus, which means holy, and facio, which means to make. So sanctification literally means, by the Latin phrases there, it is the process of making one holy, or being made to be holy. Now we'll talk about holy in a minute. What's Mr. Webster say? Looked him up too. What did Webster say about that? He said that sanctification was the act of consecrating or of setting apart for a sacred purpose. It is the act of making holy. So that's the Latin words. That is the Webster's Dictionary. Let's go to the Greek then. The Greek literally comes from that Greek word and Vine defines it as a separation to God. Notice it doesn't say separation from God. It says separation to God. It's the concept of making one to be holy. In fact, you know that Greek word there is used 10 times in the Greek New Testament. And it's translated sanctification and it's translated holiness. Let's go back to our introductory passage. I'll just notice two words. Verse 3 and verse 7, that is this exact Greek word. In fact, this Greek word is used oftentimes interchangeably in two English words, either sanctification or holiness. So that's what we're talking about. They're used interchangeably because they have identical meanings. But you know the Bible itself gives the meaning of sanctification? Let's go back to the Old Testament. Let's go all the way back to the time of the creation in Genesis chapter 2. And in this passage, notice, in verse 3 of Genesis chapter 2, Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. God sanctified the day. Why? Because in it, he rested from all of his works which God had created and made. So in Genesis chapter 2, the only one that rested on the seventh day was God. So what did God do? God hallowed that day. He sanctified that day. He made holy that day. He set it apart on that day because he was finished with his labors. Let's go to this passage now. Exodus 29. Seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and sanctify it. And the altar shall be most holy. Whatever touches the altar must be holy. So, in other words, to sanctify is to make holy. That is a Bible definition straight out of the scriptures, straight out of the word of God. Let's go to one more passage. In Leviticus 27 and 16. If a man dedicates to the Lord part of a field of his possession, then your valuation shall be according to the seed for it. A homer of barley seed shall be valued at 50 shekels of silver. So what are we saying in all of this? What we're saying is these things, these animals, and these people were sanctified to God's holy purpose and use. Did you catch that? Set aside for God's purpose and use. In fact, that's a really good definition. 
It means to set apart to God, to be used by Him and used for Him. But notice, though, once the item or individual was separated, though, it was not to be used for other purposes like common purposes. In fact, when pagans would offer a hog on the altar at the temple, the altar became polluted. When a person obeys the gospel and is sanctified, he must live a separate or sanctified or holy life. And you know what? If you go back and you turn your back, you have polluted that spiritual relationship and you lose a connection or relationship with God until you repent and come back. When you obey the gospel, though, your life is to be holy. Your life is in service to God all the days of your life. A life that is consecrated and dedicated to God's service. And not turn your back on the things that you have learned and the things that you know to be right. Because when we do, we lose fellowship with God. Now, I want to say this, though. I don't know any other thing in life where you get second chances after second chances, after second chances, all of your life, where things are not held against you when you make them right. I don't know any other aspect of it than what God does when we repent and come back to the truth. I'm going to tell you, you do that enough to your boss, you're going to get fired. You mess up enough, and you're going to get fired. You mess up enough in school, you're going to get an F. That's just the way it is. Or kicked out or in trouble. There's always ramifications like that. But when you, it comes to God and it comes to forgiveness, when we repent. Now, repentance means you're changing. Repentance means this. I'm no longer going to live that way. I'm wrong. I repent. I confess that sin to God. I ask for forgiveness. And you know what? God forgives us. More on that, though, in just a few minutes. Great blessings, by the way. Great blessings. What I'm saying is when we sin and lose fellowship with God, he is there like the father that never left the father's house looking for the prodigal to come back. And he's looking every single day. Why? To forgive him when he returns. I don't know anything else in all the world, of any relationship in all the world, that is like that. So, there's two sides to sanctification. Please get this as used in the New Testament. Two sides. One, it's used in reference to the process by which one is first set apart. All who become Christians are set apart when they are saved. This sanctifying process is called the following. It's called being added to the church. In Acts chapter 2, when the first gospel sermon was being preached, we just mentioned that a moment ago, right? Acts 2.38, then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 47, it says, Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those that were being saved. So, that's one way that it is phrased of a person that is sanctified. He's added to the church. What else? He's translated from the kingdom of darkness, which is out in the world. And he's transferred or translated into the kingdom of God's dear son. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13. 
What else? What else? It's called entering Jesus Christ. In Galatians 3.27, for as many as have been baptized into Christ have put on or have clothed themselves with Christ. So sanctification, you're added to the church. What's the church? It's the kingdom. What's the kingdom? It's the church. When do you get in? When you're baptized for the remission of sins. All right. The gospel, though, of Jesus Christ, God's word is the sanctifying power. In fact, in Acts chapter 20 and verse 32, it says, So now, brethren, I commend you to God and, get this, to the word of his grace. Now, what we're talking about moving forward is extremely important, so please stay with me. I commend to you to God and to the word of his grace. What about it? Which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So, what has the power to be sanctified? What has the power to lead someone to be sanctified? It is the word of his grace. What else? In John chapter 17 and verse 17, Jesus said this, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Now, I want to notice something about the Corinthians and their sanctification. Those in Corinth, by the way, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul said this, And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Notice what they got. Now, we're talking about Christians. These are members of the Lord's church. They were in the kingdom. They were added to the body of Christ. They were all that that we just talked about. They're also sanctified by the blood of Christ. Three things about their sanctification. They were washed, they were sanctified, and they were justified. All three. Now, we know about the washing part. Saul of Tarsus, who later became the Apostle Paul, in Acts twenty-two sixteen, 16, he's in Damascus. He's on the street, which is called straight. He's there. He's praying for three days. Ananias comes in and said, And what are you waiting for? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. When somebody obeys the gospel, therefore becoming sanctified, the first thing, they're washed or cleansed from their sins by the blood of Christ. Now, I'm going to notice the next two words, but I've got to talk about justified first. Because justified really goes hand in hand with washed. And by the way, this is the one we all want. I'll take it a step further. This is the one that the entire religious world would like to have with no further obligation. The word justified, when you're washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, you are now justified. And the word justified literally means it causes to be held as though we were never guilty of sin in God's sight. It means, it doesn't mean parole. It doesn't mean probation. It means not guilty. It's the same word Jesus used to describe the tax collector who wouldn't even look up toward the heavens but smote his breast as an outward sign of inward anguish and said, God be merciful, in the original, God be merciful to me, the sinner. Jesus said he went away 
justified. Meaning, his sins were forgiven. And that's exactly what happens when you obey the gospel. We love that part. We're washed in the blood of Jesus Christ for the remission of our sins. And because of that, we're justified. Oh, we love that one. My sins and all my past is gone. Love that one. But there's another one. We're sanctified too at the same time. The word sanctified literally means sets us apart in Christ to serve and glorify God. You were saved not only to save your soul... Not only to have your sins forgiven, not only that you might be justified in the eyes of God and not guilty, but you were saved by the blood of Jesus that you might serve and glorify God all the days of your life. That's what the word sanctified means. So, notice what we've seen. We've seen this. Salvation is in Jesus Christ and none other. And Jesus even said that. He said, no man comes unto the Father except by or through me. Salvation is in Christ. What else? Sanctification is also in Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2. We find that baptism puts one into Jesus Christ. So what have we learned? Salvation, sanctification, and justification all are the results of being baptized. And baptism is the culminating act for doing just that. And places us into the spiritual state. Now, we get that part, right? But what I want to talk about is, I want to talk about the process that people talk about. That's number two. That's the second part of it. Two parts of it, right? How you enter in, that's a baptism. But what people are talking about in their everyday life today, and it's kind of the buzzword today, they're talking about the next thing we're going to speak of. In other words, what happens after I'm sanctified or saved? What happens then? Well, notice, this is in reference to our spiritual development after we obey the gospel. Remember this too. Salvation comes or sanctification comes at baptism. This is what Paul said to the Thessalonian brethren. These were members of the body of Christ. These were those that had been sanctified. All that. Paul says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. That's what people are talking about. What in the world does it mean how you do it? That's what people are concerned about. They were already sanctified at baptism. They were set apart at baptism. They were forgiven at baptism. But what about this? Paul's writing to Christians and he says, May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Then he says, And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, already sanctified. But what's it mean to be sanctified completely? His inspired statement spoke of their need to be made sound in every way with every grace that is present. I want to notice with you James chapter 1 and verse 4. James 1 and 4. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now, first of all, this is where people get messed up. Because sometimes the word perfect is translated complete. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, that the word of God may be perfect, the word, that the Christian, the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. 
And in that passage, the word perfect means complete. So this is what people do. If this means complete here, then this has to be something else. And sometimes people in the world with this new view that we're talking about believes that a person can actually reach a point of sinless perfection. All you have to do is look into various translations of the word of God and it'll tell you what the answer is and what this is talking about. It is so simple. James says, let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking and lacking nothing. The word perfect literally means mature. That's what he's saying. And the word complete means completely developed. What he's saying is, I want you to be complete or mature, and I want you to grow to spiritual completeness. That makes sense. Without sin doesn't make any sense. That makes sense to me. Completely developed. Now, very quickly, how does one know if he's complete in Christ? How does one know that? You know, the Bible appeals to our intellect, and it's not a check-off system. It's not. Don't get me wrong. But the Bible is very clear, and it deals with our intellect. And if you want to know a pattern for living a life that is acceptable to God, it's found in the Word of God, and you can find out exactly what we need to do. Notice this passage, very familiar. I won't spend very much time on it. But in 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, But also for this reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith. In other words, add the time from the time that you're sanctified at baptism and you become a child of God. You have a responsibility now to be set apart for the service of God for the rest of your life. And this is what he says to do. you got to add moral excellence. That's virtue. You got to add knowledge. That word means proper knowledge and proper insight that is properly understood and applied. That's a whole sermon in itself, but we'll move on. Add moral excellence and knowledge. What else? How about this one that you have to have? Everybody needs that one. Self-control literally means holding yourself in. See how they're building on one on the other? Then perseverance. And that's having the stick to power to resist the evil, evil things in the world and stand the test of time until the Lord comes back and contend for the faith. Perseverance, make it to the end, which leads to godliness, a practical awareness of God in every aspect of your life that will be demonstrated in how you treat people in brotherly kindness. All, as we're trying to get to this one, and that's agape love, as we're trying to get there. That's how you become complete in Christ. And by the way, this is not a one-time checklist, and it goes up and down. It goes the other way, too. It goes backwards. The things apply going backwards. They do. It's not a one-time thing. It's a lifetime thing. So to make your sanctification more complete, we have to apply these things in our daily walk of life. That's how you get sanctification being complete in your life. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, another passage. Paul said this, Therefore, having these promises, Beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Perfecting holiness is sanctification. 
It's bringing our spiritual development to completion. And simply put, it means this. To reach spiritual adulthood. You know, we talk about the words fully grown. That's all that means. You don't reach a higher level of perfection and sinless behavior. But you become spiritually mature. Sanctification is a state of holiness, which means we are separated from sin. We are separated from the guilt of our past sins and set apart to God's holy purposes when we obey the gospel. We know that. But as we increase our store of knowledge and live better to serve God more fully, we grow in holiness, sanctification, and draw nearer to our spiritual perfection, completeness, or maturity. And it doesn't mean that you can't sin, and it doesn't mean that you can't learn. I got to tell you, I don't even need to tell you this. You know this. Because it's for everybody. But every single day that I study the Bible, I learn something. You know, we were talking about this in a private Bible study just the other day. How the Bible is the only book that is timeless, that has withstood the test of time, and it's the only book, the inspired Word of God, that you can learn from every day of your life, and you can do it all of your life, and I don't care if you live to be 110, you can learn every day. That's because it's the inspired, written Word of God. See, you never, ever, ever in completeness or maturity or complete in Christ, you never reach a level where I can't grow anymore, I've maxed it out, I can't learn anymore, I've maxed that out, and certainly you never reach the point that I cannot sin. It just means spiritual maturity. All right. Notice, though, there's a lot of discussions regarding what means we are sanctified with. One claim is that sanctification is accomplished by some sudden, mysterious, supernatural operation of the Holy Spirit upon the human heart. And it's actually called the second work of grace theory. This is a very prominent and very popular view. In other words, and that's what, by the way, people are talking about. That's what they're talking about. If you hear people in the religious world talking about this, this is what they're talking about. They're talking about the second work of grace theory. Where sanctification happens by the Holy Spirit. Now passages which are used to support this theory really offer no support. Let me show you one passage that's used to support the theory. And then we'll take a look at what it is. In Romans chapter 15 and verse 16. The Apostle Paul said that I might be a minister of Christ, of Jesus Christ, to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable. First of all, very briefly, what Paul is saying is, and we know that Paul, even though he preached to the Jews, even though he preached to all manner of people, he was the apostle or the minister of the Gentiles. He took the gospel to the Gentiles. That was one of the things that he was a chosen vessel of Jesus Christ to be. Notice, he's a minister of Jesus Christ preaching the gospel to the Gentiles so that they what? The Gentiles might be an acceptable offering before God. That's what we know so far. That the Gentiles are going to be an acceptable offering to God. Then it says, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Do you know this verse says absolutely nothing 
about how the Holy Spirit accomplishes this action, it only states that Gentiles were the offering that was acceptable to God. They were set apart and sanctified, though, by the Holy Spirit. Now, folks, please get this. That is a statement of fact. That is not a how-to or how it was. It was a, It didn't say the means of how the Holy Spirit did it. It just said the Holy Spirit was the fact. So what is it then? That statement of fact does not tell us how it's done. These people obeyed the gospel. We know that. Jesus spoke about people being sanctified by God's word. We've already used this passage. Here it is again. Sanctify them. That should be an M. By your truth, your word is truth. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So, the Holy Spirit does something through a means with regards to sanctification. It's by the word. They were sanctified by the Holy Spirit through the word. That's the power. That's the power. We have more, though. Let me show you how the Holy Spirit works through means, too. Through the word. Give you two more examples. Okay? What about the Ephesian elders? What about Acts 20? In Acts 20 and verse 28. Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among the which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Now, in that passage, it clearly states the Holy Spirit made them overseers or appointed them as elders. It doesn't say how. It says what? It says a statement of fact. The Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Now, the Holy Spirit did not supernaturally or directly from heaven appoint elders. What happened? The Holy Spirit inspired the word of God and the men that fit the qualifications of the Holy Spirit that was given in Timothy and Titus. That's how the Holy Spirit appointed them to be overseers and elders. But the evangelist did the ordination and the congregation picked the men. Holy Spirit gets the credit, sure. That's the word of God. Holy Spirit made them overseers. But man did his part too. And the only way that they obeyed what the Holy Spirit said is they fit the requirements and qualifications in the word of God. Let me talk about another one. What about baptism? 1 Corinthians chapter 12. For by one spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, we were all baptized in one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have been made to drink into one spirit. That's another passage. The Holy Spirit by one spirit, the Holy Spirit, we were all baptized into one body. So, it doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit did the immersing. It means this. Somebody obeyed the gospel. It led them to be baptized for their remission of sins when they heard the word of God. The Holy Spirit did the leading through the word of God. The obedience came from obedience to the gospel comes from the Holy Spirit. And a person takes them and assists them in their obedience to it and baptizes them or immerses them for the remission of sins. Not mysterious, folks. 
not mysterious. Obedience. The Spirit's role in the process is revealing the gospel. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren. Beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Jesus said, sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. So when it says truth, it's the same thing as saying the word. So let's notice it again. We're bound to give God thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you to salvation, which, by the way, is any obedient Christian. And it was through the sanctification by the Spirit, Holy Spirit, and belief in the truth. So what I'm saying is this. The second work of grace theory, got to do it. We have to say it. It doesn't exist. It's wrong. Not because I said it, because the Word of God says it. There's no support for the direct operation theory in this or any other verse. Sanctification is accomplished by the Holy Spirit, absolutely. He uses the inspired Word of God to bring the spiritual condition to pass. The sanctification process includes the initial setting apart first when we obey the gospel. But secondly, it's the growth that we experience when we study, learn, and serve God and increase in our spiritual strength. Both of these aspects of sanctification are essential to our eternal salvation. Sanctification prepares us for useful service in the kingdom of Jesus Christ too. And this is our last passage for this lesson. I love this. Let's not forget this. Okay? 2 Timothy 2.21 Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor. And guess what he'll be? Sanctified and useful for the master. Prepared for every good work. Do you ever stop to consider that you are saved to serve and not be served? What we do, though, is sometimes, oh, it's, it's kind of about me. I've been saying this a lot because I heard it from a, a good friend and brother in Christ in Idaho, and I've been using it. I've been telling them I'm using it, but I'm using it a lot. You know when people say, why me? We all do that sometimes. We say, why me? You've heard me say this, even recently. I'm going to say it again. My answer to that is, as I got it from him, why not you? Why not? What makes you so different? There's, there's a need to be done. There's a service to be done. Why me? Why not you? Why not? I got a hard thing I'm going through. Why me? Why not you? We are called and sanctified to serve and be useful for the master. We are saved to serve, not to be served. And some of the greatest things in the world, by the way, that are done for the church are done behind the scenes with people with quiet acts of service, getting the work done. And you know what? Nobody in this world may see you do it, but I know God's listening. God's watching. God knows it all. 
He sees every bit of it. And you know what? When you do that, you are doing what you were born in Christ to do. Be useful for the master. Be useful and dedicated. Sanctification also permits us to enter heaven, folks. Please get that and see God. It's a well-established principle, too, that we become like the object of our adoration. Last Sunday, I talked about the idea of worship. I talked about the idea of our mindset and that worship is not about us at all. Worship is about God. I like that phrase, though, that I just read this week. You become like the one who is the object of your adoration. So when you give God worship in adoration, from a spiritual perspective, you become more like him. And you know what that's called? Godly. That becomes godly. And you have a practical awareness of God in every aspect of your life. And it'll change your life by righteous living. It'll change your deeds. You'll be a better servant than you've ever been before. But don't ever look at the service that we have in Christ as a burden. Look at it as an opportunity. It's not a burden. It's a privilege. What about those that were beaten for the cause of Christ and they praised God and thanked him that they were worthy to be called one that could be beaten for the cause of Jesus Christ? So when you think about that, our little service is really no big deal, right? I mean, we can do it. What I mean is service is always a big deal. Don't misunderstand me. What I mean is some of the other peripheral issues that get in our way, the challenges, the trials, all of that, they're not, they're not important. Paul called them light afflictions, and he had some pretty tough stuff. It's only for a brief moment, only for a little while. But we can be better in the future than we've ever been in days gone by. So in conclusion, sanctification, absolutely. Big subject. Big subject. Very, very, very easy to understand and very simple. We're sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ when we're baptized for the remission of our sins. When we are, we are washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are justified and our sins are gone. All the sins we've committed in the past are gone. But we're also sanctified and set apart for the master's use for the rest of our life. That's number one. That happens when you're baptized for the remission of sins. And finally, number two. When you grow in Christ and you grow to completeness, which is spiritual maturity, that's sanctification too. The power is the Holy Spirit, but it's through the Word of God. And when that's applied, guess what? You are sanctified. And you got to have both to go to heaven. I'm through. Thank you so much for your kind listening. I hope this was clear and I hope it was easy to understand edifying and encouraging to all of us. We never know the hearts and minds of those that are present. Maybe you're hearing the sound of my voice. I don't know. And you have not been sanctified because you've not been washed in the blood of Jesus because you've not been baptized for the remission of your sins. The steps to become a, a Christian are very simple. Paul said, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That has the power. We talked about that already several times. Jesus said you have a choice. Mark 16, 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. 
He further said in Luke 13 and 3, I tell you nay, but except you repent, you will all likewise perish. He further said in Matthew 10, 32, if you'll confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father which is in heaven. And Acts chapter 8 tells us the confession is, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Upon taking those steps, though, you're a fit candidate to go down into the waters of baptism. That's the point of salvation. And contact the blood of Jesus and be washed and be justified and be sanctified. 1 Peter 3.21, the like figure wherein to even baptism doth also now save us. If you've never done that, we'd love to assist you in that today. Maybe you have. Maybe you've drifted away. Maybe there are things in your life that aren't what they should be from a public nature. If we can assist you in that, repent of those things. Confess those things. We'll pray with you and for you, and God will forgive. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.